Anytime you see the word therefore, you know that it's therefore a good reason. It always refers to the previous. So the previous chapter, chapter 11, we looked at all of the heroes of faith that Pastor Dan mentioned when he was praying. Now what we're going to look at today is based on chapter 11. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one of us he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out straight a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Father in heaven, we ask for strength today. And we ask for a strength according to your word that only comes as we submit to your discipline. And Father God, I believe if anything's been misunderstood in our Christian walk, it's the discipline of the Lord. And Father God, we ask that today you would pull back the veil that's keeping us from understanding the process that we might be in for our own good orchestrated by your hand as hard as it might be to receive so that we can enjoy this harvest of peaceful living. So, Father, meet us here today. Speak to our hearts. And, Father God, help us understand and help us grasp where we are, why we are. And, Father God, for your glory, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Again, remembering chapter 11 last week, it's called the Great Hall of Faith in Scripture. All of these amazing believers that have gone before us. Based on that now, the imagery used here at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, it's a race, and the spectators are the heroes of faith that are cheering us on. So picture this, this race that we're in, and the spectators are all of the saints that have gone before us. That's the imagery that's being used here. We are being encouraged to finish well. Finish well. Stick it out 
endure and to finish well. So chapter 12 is a chapter of strong encouragement. It is bold and it's confrontational. So expect to be confronted this morning. We'll be told who to keep our eyes on, what to endure, and what to work on. So you guys ready? A.W. Tozer said, religious contentment is the enemy of the spiritual life always. The biographies of the saints teach that the way to spiritual greatness has always been through much suffering and inward pain. The heroes that we read about last week in Hebrews 11 endured and faced great difficulties and challenges. I can stand before you today and tell you that the people that I've seen struggle the most are the people that dealt with stuff the least. And now one school of thought is that the heroes of faith endured all of that and Jesus endured all of that so that we wouldn't have to. I tell you that they endured that as our examples. They endured that as a pattern so that we too would endure as a people of faith. Life of faith is not a life of ease. Life of faith is a life that endures. It faces those things that come against it and it's still standing when the smoke clears and the dust has settled. I believe that if the cross still means what it did in Jesus' day, then we'll carry ours with difficulty at times or what would be the purpose in carrying a cross at all. The cross does not spell ease. The cross does not spell a life of, of you know, roses and, and you know, um, puppy dog tails. It spells a life of challenge. It spells a life of obstacles. And my pastor used to say, if you're not struggling with something in your walk with God, wrestling with something in your walk with God, I wonder if you are living for God at all. And so I want to encourage you today. You're not alone in your struggles. You're not alone in your battles. You're not alone in the opposition that you're facing. You're not alone in the losses that you've suffered. You're not alone, okay? So if you're struggling with stuff, you're in a good place today. And I want to encourage you this morning. We need endurance because as chapter 12 tells us, we're, we're in a race. And if you're going to run a race, you need endurance. Let me just say a few things about faith because this is a walk of faith. It's a life of faith. Faith isn't so that we'll get what we want so we can live the life we want to live. Faith is so that we'll endure so that we can live the life God wants us to live. Makes sense. Faith is not a tool to obtain what pleases us most, but a necessity in order to live a life that pleases God the most. That's why it's impossible to please God without faith. Because a, a person of faith, they'll endure. A, a person of faith, they'll last. A person of faith will put their hands to the plow and they won't look back. A person of faith endures. A person of faith sticks it out. And I just want to say this, the more Christianity caters to the Christian, the further away from Christ it gets. Let me say that again. The more Christianity or whatever brand of Christianity you subscribe to, the more it caters to the Christian, the further away from Christ it gets. I didn't expect that to go over well, but I believe it to be true. So then how are we supposed to live this life, this, this life that's been called a, a race of faith? How are we supposed to live this out? First, we're to strip off every weight that slows us down. That word weight, there is something immaterial that interferes with or delays action or progress. We strip that off. That's weighing us down. That's weighing us down. We strip it off. Get rid of it. Get it off. Get it off. We're especially to strip off the sins that so easily trip us up. 
we must deal with our besetting sins, those sins that consistently trip us up. We need to deal with them. So get rid of it and get away from it. Don't pray about it and hang around it. Get rid of it and get away from it. Don't pray about it and just hang around it. I don't know why the Lord won't take this away from me, Pastor John. I'm struggling with this area of my life. Well, I can tell you, it's because you won't let go of it. I mean, how many times do we come to an altar and leave something there and only pick it up before we're, we're hitting the front door and headed to the parking lot? If you're going to give it to him, give it to him. And quit looking for it once you've given it to him. Give it to him. Let go of it. Give it to him. Well, what's going to happen if I let go of these things? Because let's be honest, some of these sins, some of these areas that we struggle with, they become friends familiar, abusive friends that are in our life and they're hurting us and they're not helping us. So what happens when we actually let go of these things? Well, then God can begin to fill your hands with the things that he has for you. God can begin to reveal what he's got for you. I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to pick up a cross and carry it with one hand and your hand full of something? There's no way it takes two hands to carry that cross. And they've got to be empty in order to carry that cross. And I think sometimes we, we, we lay our crosses down and we pick up these things that we want to hang on to and God's forever saying, no, 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 you put that down, pick up your cross and follow me. I believe that endurance means to bear up under difficult circumstances. We don't run in difficult circumstances. As people of faith and Christians, we stand and we're able to endure. That's what faith is. Faith stands. Having done all the stand, stand therefore, we don't run, we stand. We stand. And we do all this through Jesus Christ. Number one, by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on our older versions will say looking unto. It means to keep thinking about and direct one's attention to without being distracted. You keep thinking about, keep thinking about, keep thinking. Well, Pastor John, I've been so anxiety ridden lately. I've been struggling so much lately. I've been struggling with depression or I've been struggling with anxiety or I've been struggling with these fears. Isaiah 26.3 says, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. It's what you're thinking about all the time that determines whether you're going to be a person of peace and, and faith. What are you thinking about? What, what, what fire are you throwing logs on? That's going to determine where your peace comes from. Does your peace come from the next relationship? Does, well, then that's what's going to sustain you. But if it, comes to, if it comes from Jesus, then he can sustain you. He's not fleeting. He's not here one day and gone the next. The infatuation doesn't have to leave. Jesus isn't a purchase that eases your pain or your loss in a moment. He's not some credit card that you can max out. He's a living God, and he's alive, and he's alive every day, and his mercies are new. And he's there for you. He's there for you. He's there for you. If there's any fix we should be getting, it should be Jesus. Secondly, by remembering God's encouraging words, older versions say, exhortations. Did you catch that? And have you forgotten the encouraging words? And then it says, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And then it says, don't give up when he corrects you. Older versions say, you know, the Lord disciplines those he loves. He scourges every son that he receives. You remember what a scourge is? Scourge was that whip that they whipped Jesus with before he was crucified. Strips of leather and they had balls of lead on the end, and in those balls of lead, lead soft so you can stick things in it, there would be pieces of glass or pieces of bone, 
and the men that used that scourge, they were experts, they were professionals at using that scourge. They would throw that scourge and they would wrap it around your ribs and they would yank it so that it would take chunks of flesh off from you. So I just want you to know right now that God is dealing with your flesh and he wants to remove chunks of your flesh so that he can be given the greater glory so that you can discover what he's got from you. He's not catering to your flesh. He's not trying to appeal to your flesh. He's trying to remove chunks of your flesh that are in the way, obstacles that are in the way of your life. And he's disciplining you and he's scourging you. And the pain is in the fact that you want this. And that's an appetite that you're catering to. And you want to keep that in your life. And you want to continue doing that because it makes you feel good. And it's fun for a moment. But God's trying to remove that so he can reveal what he's got for you so that you can see more of him so that you can know more of what he's got for you so that you can do what he wants you to do that which pleases him the most. Exhortations, when you see it in scripture, it's really a little bit stronger and confrontational than you might think. Let me give you an example of exhortations. Go to Luke 3. You can keep your spot in Hebrews. Luke 3, if you got your Bibles. This is going to be good, good stuff. I don't know of a better example, a stronger example of what exhortations are than maybe this right here. Look at Luke 3, 7. It says, when the crowds came to John for baptism, he's talking about John the Baptist, he said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe. For we're descendants of Abraham, that means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, What should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations. Be content with your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of the sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he'll clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. Guess what that word warnings there is? Same word for exhortations. Same word. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Sometimes exhortations are strong. Sometimes exhortations are strong. And you know what? It takes a friend to deliver them sometimes. Man, what are you doing? What the heck are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Come on, you know God's got better for you. Sometimes exhortations are strong. And only the people, only people that really, really care about you can deliver them. Man, what are you doing? What's going on? What in the heck are you doing in, in this situation? What are you doing? They can be strong. They can be confrontational. 
And we like to say it here, a real friend will stab you in the front. A friend that's no friend at all will stab you in the back. And here in Hebrews 12, going back to Hebrews, the exhortation is about the discipline and the correction of the Lord. It's about the discipline and the correction of the Lord. As you endure it and submit to it, you experience a harvest of peaceful right living because of the training it puts you through. Look at somebody and tell them you're in training. And a lot of the situations that we're going through, we're going through because God is using them to train us. He's using them to train us. Pastor John, are you saying that every bad thing that we go through is God? No, but I'm telling you that he'll use it. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Ian Bounds, famous Civil War era chaplain, a man who would spend four hours with God before he'd even leave the house. They said that his praying was so fervent and and so loud that he would wake up the house if he was a guest in the morning. Ian Bounds said that the trials and the persecutions that we're going through, they're not a matter of punishment. He said punishment's reserved for the next life. They're all a matter of discipline. All a matter of discipline. I love that. Absolutely love that. Based on all this, we can now get a new grip and we can mark out straight paths to walk in. So let me just make a statement. Those that are given to change and running from situations God could use to discipline them cannot possibly mark out straight paths to walk in. How can they? When they're always changing, they're here, there, they're everywhere, they're always bouncing around. Runners, escapers who refuse to stand and endure mark out crooked paths to run in. Let me say that again. Runners, escapers who refuse to stand and endure mark out crooked paths to run in. Let's keep reading now in Hebrews 12. Look at 14. It says, work at living in peace with everyone. How many of you know that that can be work at times? And don't look at anybody right now. <laughs> work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living a whole. You know he's talking about you, don't you? You need to listen. It's a good thing you came today. No, that's not the time to say that. Work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Bitterness is an unforgiveness that so lingers it becomes a root in your life. And the Bible says it just doesn't defile you. It defiles many. And it will spring up and defile many. How many of you know you got to deal with that? Got to deal with that. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance even though he begged with bitter tears. You've not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and a whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. There are five things that we are to work on listed here. We are to work on living in peace with everyone living in peace to the best of your ability, you be at peace with everyone. 
Nobody's asking you whether you like them. Nobody's asking you whether you can hang with them and whether you're inviting them over to your house at time, all the time. They are simply declaring through God's word that you should work at being at peace with all men. Work at it. And for some people, how many of you know, it's work. They don't make it easy. You work at it. We are to work at living a holy life. Living a holy life is work. It's not a, it's not a life that is perfect in walk. It is pure in its heart. It is pure in its motives. The pure in heart shall see God. The pure in heart shall see God. Matthew chapter 5. We are to look after each other so that no one fails to receive God's grace. You are to look after them. Man, come on, come on, come on, man. You're slipping. Come on. Man, you don't want to miss out on everything that you've worked so hard for up until now. Come on, come on. You've been serving the Lord for years now. Come on. You look out for people. Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How come you haven't been at church? I'm concerned because, you know, we, we all know that you struggled with these substances, and when I'm not seeing you at church, I th automatically think the worst, and so I'm just checking on you. Or I haven't seen you at church ever since you started dating so-and-so. I'm believing if God sent this person in your life that they would encourage you in your walk with the Lord, not pull you away. Now look, if this is getting too real, I'll just stop right now if I'm hurting anybody's feelings. So, okay. We're to watch out that bitterness does not defile many. Keep in mind that that is a bitterness that begins with you and it affects others. Why do you forgive? You forgive so that you do not become bitter and mess up a whole bunch of other people. That's why. Great study on this, and I don't have the time to go into it. It's found in Exodus chapter 15. They come to the bitter waters at Marah. Remember? They come to the bitter waters there, and um, God heals the waters there. But the waters were a picture of the people because the people were murmuring and they were complaining in the wilderness. And after God healed the waters, it says that they were able to go on to a place that had, I might get these confused, but I'll get the numbers right. I believe it was 12 oasis and 70 palm trees. I'm pretty sure it's vice versa, but I see the one being easier than the other. 12 and 70 are numbers of authority. 12 disciples, 70 elders. You know why some people who believe they should be in leadership aren't in leadership? Because they're bitter and they'll defile many. Until you deal with your bitterness, you can't move on and be given a place of authority. You'll mess people up. Please deal with it. You forgive those people. Whatever they've done, whoever they are, you please forgive them. We are to make sure that no one is immoral or godless willing to trade God's blessing for an appetite in a moment like Esau. I have seen people throw away so much in a moment, so much in a moment, something they wanted in a moment, something that their body was just screaming out for in a moment. I've seen people lose so much. Don't be that person. Please don't be that person. Don't. In fact, if you look up the word lust, it means a longing for that which is forbidden. That is not yours. You cannot have it. Don't long for it and don't want it. That is, that is another person's spouse. Do not long for them. That is something that you cannot afford. Do not long for that. 
that is recognition that you haven't earned. Do not long for that. You got me? Are we tracking? Let's finish now with some of the strongest encouragement in this chapter. Look at 22. It says, No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I'll shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for, he, for our God is a devouring fire. Or older versions will say a consuming fire. Here, there are five you have come statements. And they are statements that are contrasting what is available to us today as believers with what the Israelites had under Moses. So get the, the, the comparisons there, the parallels there. We're comparing what we have today with what they had under Moses. It says, you have come to Mount Zion, city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So how does that apply to us today? Keep in mind that although Mount Zion was a literal place, it also became symbolic for a godly stronghold. And so it is speaking of a place that you can run to and you can be in the presence of God. I would say it's safe to say that the local church could very well be that Mount Zion. It is a place that you can go to and you can be in the, in the presence of the living God. You have come. You have come. You have come to a place today where you can be in the presence of God. Secondly, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children. I believe this stands for a place that you can gather and you can assemble with other believers in Jesus. A place where you can come and gather with other believers in Jesus. Thirdly, you have come to God himself who is judge over all things, a God that you can personally know with a throne that you can approach. There is a real God and there's a real throne in heaven. You can know him and you can approach him. Hebrews 4 that we read a few weeks ago says that we can, that we can boldly approach his throne of grace. It's a literal place to obtain grace and mercy in a time of need. It's a literal place. He is a real God and there's a real throne and you can approach him. Four, you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven. I believe this is calling us to remember the example of the saints who've gone before us. Remember everything that they endured. Remember everything that they, that they stood in faith over, that they faithfully stared down, that they faithfully endured, that they faithfully suffered. Remember them. 
5, you have come to Jesus who mediates the new covenant. Jesus, the name above every other name that we can call on, whereby we can be saved, where we can come to know the living God, Jesus still saves. So there is a place, there are a people, there is a God. There are those who've gone before us. There is a name more powerful than any other that we can call on to be saved and know God. We can worship together with his people in one place. We can read his word that reminds us of the saints who inspired us. Why do you believe that they are recorded for our benefit? So that we can read about them again and again and again. Man, I'm not Daniel in a lion's den. I'm not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a fiery furnace so hot that the guys that brought me to the furnace got burned up and killed. I'm not facing what they're facing. If they could take a stand then, I can take a stand now. That's what faith is. What do you need faith for if life is just cake? If you can just cry out to God for everything that you want and need and just get it instantly, what do you need faith for? You don't need faith. Faith causes you to endure. Faith causes you to stand. We're given a warning based on all that's available to the believer today here to be careful not to refuse God who is speaking today. And we're told that God is going to shake heaven and earth so that only the unshakable would remain. Only stands to reason then that we shouldn't be too attached to the things of earth. Scripture says God's given us all things richly to enjoy, not love or desire or want or crave or can't get the the thought that God is going to come and he's going to shake the heavens and the earth so that only those things which cannot be shaken would remain if you're going to ask me what I think the discipline process in our life would be all about I would say that it is a shaking so that only those things which can last would remain